Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Sustainability is a hugely important topic to us here at My Buddy Green, and today we have one of the best and the brightest when it comes to sustainable materials. Dr. Jesse Daystar is the Chief Sustainability Officer at Cotton Inc., where he engages with all levels of the supply chain, from farm to fashion, to helping create systemic change towards more sustainable production systems through science-based research. Prior, he was the Assistant Director of the Center for Sustainability and Commerce at Duke University, where he directed sustainability research for apparel, energy, byproducts, and other industry sectors. He earned two Bachelor of Science degrees in Chemical Engineering and Pulp and Paper Engineering, a Master of Science degree, and a PhD in Forest Biomaterials at North Carolina State, and he's also an adjunct professor at Duke University Nicholas School of the Environment. We are so thrilled to have Jesse on today's Sustainable Sundays bonus episode to discuss how to follow more sustainable clothing practices and the future of fabric. Jesse, welcome. So great to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here today and to talk about my favorite subject, sustainability. I love it. It is a favorite subject of of ours here at My Buddy Green. It is a passion point for me personally, uh, so many of our listeners. And what's so cool, so in the context of where we are in the world with with COVID, I think there are a lot of people out there who are you know, thinking about what's next. Are they either in the, in the right career? Or are they looking to make a transition? Uh, maybe they make a career out of a passion point like sustainability. And what's so cool about you is you have that career. Your title is literally chief sustainability officer. A lot of people hear that. Oh, that's yes. cool. That's the type of chief title I would like. Uh, <laughs> and so walk us through, you know, what point in your education, did you realize you you really wanted to focus on sustainability? And then like more specifically, you know, you're focused on forest biomaterials for us to get granular. So like, how, how did that happen? It's a cool title, Chief Sustainability Officer. A lot of people want that over CEO these days. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's certainly a hot topic area. And it really is my dream job here. I have so much fun doing what we do. And and it's really, I feel like, impactful, purposeful work. And I think more and more people are really looking for doing something purposeful and, and something that gives you that drive and makes working those long hours really meaningful to, to you in, as an individual. And I think given the world as it is with COVID, we're all certainly questioning how we have status quo, what's our, you know, our baseline, and really, really rethinking that not only as society, but very personally. I know I am. And, you know, what are you doing during COVID? Are you changing or growing or progressing? So, you know, I think that is a really natural progression to really think about that and and really think about, you know, how we can step into these new parts of our career. So to really explain why and how I got here, I think it's important to kind of take a trip down memory, ra- memory lane back to when I was about seven years old. Uh, when I was about seven years old, uh, we would go visit my grandma who lived about 45 minutes away from me, had to cross a mountain from Lexington, Virginia to Lynchburg. It's about a 45 minute drive. And we'd always pass a Georgia Pacific uh, paper mill. And I was always really curious, paper or, or uh, trees would go in and paper would come out and that just seemed like a magical black box. And I was always asking my dad very, you know, everything, but about papers, like what's going on in there? What's, what's happening? Like, tell me about it. It seems like magic. And he said, oh, 
oh, I don't know. It's it's kind of a um, like it's a stinky polluting business it's it's not helpful and you know it's it's it, you don't ever really want to work in a paper mill and, and you know he kind of just criticized it and I was really intrigued and and I thought to myself you know just talking bad about it or throwing you know rocks over you know throwing saying saying bad things and not getting there and changing it's not going to really be the change that we need in this world we certainly have a place for advocacy and, and things to speak out towards the problem but for me it made more sense you know I was very curious about what could I do to change that? So as we commonly do, we do things our parents say we shouldn't do. So I ended up getting a pulp and paper engineering degree from North Carolina State University, great program, and ended up working in a paper mill, learning how everything worked from beginning to end. And it's a fascinating process that uh, takes our, a renewable resource, uses renewable energy, and makes a product which we, I think, all would pre prefer to have, toilet paper amongst all the other papers we use in our daily life. So I think that for me, I found it really personally interesting to understand something at a deep level with technical expertise from an engineering perspective and see how you can apply those concepts instead of, you know, just for profit, but for profit as a business, but also for sustainability. Because when you just improve the efficiency of, say, drying paper a couple percentage, you, know, you save not only maybe millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in energy, but hundreds of thousands of pounds or and kilograms of CO2 so and greenhouse gas emissions. So I think that working in these complex systems and big industries, you have big levers for change. And that's what I wanted. And, and I, I really pushed towards that with the, my degrees in pulp and paper engineering degree and then chemical engineering. And I got my master's and PhD in forest biomaterials. And that's uh, a kind of a building on onto that base level uh, undergraduate engineering. And uh, that's really where I think the, the sustainability aspect really solidified. Uh, I, I had a lot of good technical expertise and my mindset of working in those industries to make meaningful change was there. But as I focused in my graduate studies, I was given an opportunity to really dive into what we call life cycle assessments. And that, that is measuring or environmental accounting. How, how do products or services or goods impact the environment in terms of water, greenhouse gas emissions, and, and other impacts? And I, I was able to really focus in on how do we create biofuels from cellulosic materials or from plants, uh, and how do those impact the environment? And is that really a preferred alternative over, say, uh, fossil fuels? So that was really my focus, and it gave me a lot of good skills that, I, that I've carried forward to this position. So you mentioned cellulosic fiber, and, you know, so I'll take a step back. And again, we're, we're also passionate about sustainability. And yet there, you know, sometimes we tend to think of it as, you know, I'm going to go buy an electric vehicle or I'm just going to recycle. And these are all very, or a compost or what have you. And these are mm -hmm. all very critical things. But what we're going to talk about today, and I think your expertise is there are all these other opportunities out there, if you will, that are under the radar, but have a huge impact in terms of our carbon footprint. So. One, like, let's talk about some of the misconceptions out there with sustainability. And then, like, let's segue to, you know, cellulosic fiber sustainability, like, <laughs> like a little bit of the macro and the micro, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I love kind of starting uh, at a high level and understanding where the, the baseline is and where we are and then zooming into the into the details. So, yeah, 
you, you, you pulled out a few key things there, the composting, that, that is important. And, you know, I, I think you have a big focus on diet and, and well-being. You know, that's always what we eat is a big part of sustainability and diet choices and, and also energy. You know, how much we drive, what kind of energy we use in our home. Those are all drivers of how we as society imp impact the world. Uh, so, you know, I think that uh, there are some really big levers. Uh, certainly energy is a big one, and that's sort of hard to control at a consumer level, but we certainly are having more opportunities with solar these days. That That, that is good. And really with COVID-19 and the world that we live in and, and Zoom calls, we've certainly had, I think, a drastic drop in energy. I think uh, I heard on the way over here that uh, this first quarter was the lowest energy consumption uh, of the U.S. in many, many years because... We, we just didn't travel as much and a variety of reasons, but it all stems back to how we've sort of shut down for COVID. And I think that when we go back to business as usual, we're going to probably engineer out a lot of inefficiencies uh, that will save us money and energy and probably be more sustainable in many ways. So, so yeah, when you think about that, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunities and technologies that are coming down the pipeline that are going to help us in, in these worlds uh, of energy and, and decisions around food and, and, and particularly meat, those are all really interesting topics of, of where the world is going in food and, and particularly agriculture. And, and that's kind of maybe the pivot into the, uh, the fiber and agriculture. That's really where I love to, to spend my time as, as opposed to my, my previous career of uh, fuels and transportation and, and biofuels. So getting into that a little bit, yeah, there, that's really where some exciting stuff is happening. Uh, agriculture is so important to the world as, as a you know, industry. It employs millions and millions of people. We, we need it to eat. We need it to uh, clothe ourselves and, and for jobs. So cotton uses about 3% of the agriculture land. And that is, uh, you know, behind many other crops such as corn, soy, or some big ones, amongst others. And, and it's produced all around the world. The biggest ones are uh, India, China, and U.S. are top three. Uh, Brazil is not far far after that. And, and uh, there's there's a lot of key things in, in, in cotton that that are really cool level cool levers to to really get improvement. One of the biggest kind of terms and topics lately is actually that you might have heard of regenerative agriculture. Yeah, that's a neat neat concept and and uh, set of practices that really can help improve the, the, the environment. So kind of to kind of lay that out in a definition, uh, there's regenerative agriculture and there's regenerative practices. Regenerative agriculture it kind of refers to a system or a, a theory or a set of practices that uh, will, based upon the conditions or where your farm is located with the weather and different types of ecosystems, that when combined practices such as reduced tillage, uh, cover crops, um, biodiverse habitat buffers, various things such as that where you combine and it actually not only decreases the impacts but perhaps improves the soil and kind of leaves it better than you found it. So really instead of focusing on being reduction in harm, it's, it's improvement of area and really pivoting from, you know, let's do less harm to let's do good. And that is a focus of agriculture around the world and particularly cotton. And we're really focusing on how we can implement more of these practices and get the trajectory in the positive direction in a way that improves the soil for generations to come. So what's cool about regenerative ag as you think about food is it also, you also yield healthier, more nutrient dense food. So it's mm -hmm. not just you're doing the right thing for the environment. The food is actually better, yeah. more nutritious. 
Uh, and so, you know, if we if we take a step back, what, what I like about this conversation is like in the context of the environmental co conversation, we don't talk a lot about cotton, but like we all know mm -hmm. what cotton is. It's like it's everywhere. We're all wearing, yeah. we're wearing cotton, right? We're all, if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you're wearing cotton right now. So like in simple terms, like what's so special uh, uh, about cotton and, you know, how come this has been under the radar in terms of uh, the sustainability conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point there. We, one of the ways I often like to begin talks is to, to say, show a picture of a, an iPhone and ask how, how many people have one of these around the world, you know, a great number. And then, you know, maybe a car and then, and then maybe a pin. And you, you say, does everybody have a pin? Answer is probably, yeah, maybe not everybody, but then clothing and probably cotton. Does pretty much everybody in the world have a piece of cotton? The answer may not be yes, but nearly all people are probably going to own some cotton. So it touches all of us in, in ways that many things, you know, physically don't ever touch us. So it's, it's everywhere and it's been around for you know, a long time. It is a plant. It, it naturally exists in this world. We certainly have done, uh, we've learned a lot about it and improved it in ways to, to be more helpful to humans, but it's been here for a long time and it really leverages what nature gave us. And that is creating a, a material from taking CO2 out of the air uh, that we say breathe out or CO2 that comes from our um, tailpipe from a car uh, with sunlight, nutrients and water creates an actual physical form of material, which is cotton amongst a few other things. Uh, but that physical form of cotton is primarily cellulose. And you've said, we said cellulose a few times now, and that is uh, linked sugars in, in a physical form that uh, we can't digest into really getting energy, but cows can and other animals actually can break this down into sugar form and ingest that and get energy. But for us, it is still just a fiber. But that's really what our clothing is made out of, as well as paper is also made out of cellulose tree fibers. So really what's important, and I think the most special thing is that it's, it's cycling nutrients from the soil, it's cycling CO2 from the air, creating oxygen, making a product that we can wear, but also many people don't realize it's a product that we actually eat through uh, cottonseed oil. And then we use that for a long period of time, that clothing, and then it either perhaps we downcycle it or recycle it or give it to goodwill and it can continue going until it can no longer really cover our bodies. And then it can even decompose and be even composted. So it's, it's kind of a design fit uh, material for the ecosystem and for the world, as opposed to fossil fuels and other, and plastics that you, you take it from the ground and they have no resting point. They, they exist in this world and cause problems for, for maybe hundreds, if not thousands of years moving forward. You lead me to my next question. You know, this idea of, you mentioned fossil fuels or plastics, like you use it, you're done, and then it's just there and that's a problem. And so mm -hmm. let's talk about how, the, the circular economy and, and, and how do you think about that? How do you explain that in the most simplistic way? Because it can be a little confusing sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a great area that uh, is really gaining a lot of momentum and thought, but it is sometimes challenging to explain. So kind of keeping it very basic and we'll build on that. So it, say it, as a, an example of not circular would be we extract fossil fuels, we create a, a, a product made out of plastic, and that plastic product is no longer used and discarded, whether it be on the ground as pollution or perhaps in a landfill. You get one use out of it. It's the take, make, waste kind of mentality, and we're done. 
the other alternative may be, can we use a renewable material, renewable resource? Can we improve the environment along the way and use that garment or that product? And then when it's done, can that become something else? Can we make that into the same thing again, remake it, or use it perhaps in another value-added product, upcycle, meaning creating a little bit more value with the next product that it comes from, or maybe sometimes you have to downcycle it, but still using it a as a material. And with cotton, we, we, we can do that in a lot of ways. Uh, one of way, one of which is um, through the Blue Jeans Go Green program. Uh, a lot of brands have engaged with this program uh, through Cotton Incorporated to collect denim. We collect that and send it to a uh, facility and a manufacturing um, operation called Bonded Logic in Arizona. They shred the jeans and actually create insulation. And that insulation is made of the old jeans, and it actually holds the carbon in the walls, making them more efficient. And we have a whole new product without using fiberglass and, and energy associated with those processes. So really minimizing waste, being more wise with our non-renewable resources, trying to really uh, leverage renewable and minimize the use of unrenewable, and decouple growth with just taking. Because you know eventually we're going to keep on growing and we're going to run out. The objective here is to not do that, is to use what we have in a way that we can continue to do so indefinitely. So you mentioned uh, using cotton denim essentially for, for insulation. Are there other applications? You know, we tend not to think of, of, of clothing we're ready to get rid of. We tend <laughs> to, you know, you donate it, you throw it away, you know, what, what other, I'm just curious, what are what other applications or unexpected uses are there out there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're really exploring that as a as a company at Cotton Incorporated. Uh, we are the research and promotion group for the industry, and you know one of our jobs is to figure out these hard questions and to create opportunities for for cotton as a material. Um, so the Blue Jeans Go Green Insulation Program that certainly is a, a very valuable product and is even made in their way into these kind of mail to order uh, uh, meal kits. So actually insulation in those boxes. But beyond that, we're researching how we could take old clothing uh, mixture, perhaps from bins and, you know, type of municipal collection. And could we create biofuels from that? Could we extract the cellulose, um, which is sugar again, remind you, uh, take that cellulose, uh, break it down, and just like fermenting alcohol such as beer, you take those sugars, ferment them, and distill them into fuel, which then we can mix with our gasoline or just run straight out. So we're looking at biofuels, which would have you know a really nice potential benefit towards greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, we're also looking at, um, we've actually shown that cotton is compostable. So we're further trying to work with uh, kind of figuring out how we can make a system so brands can have label instructions or how we can deconstruct taking out perhaps zippers and non-cotton components to to make it more accessible for people to who have compost and, and do that um, or perhaps an industrial facility could turn this old clothing back into valuable soil that you know we desperately need in agriculture so th that is another way and, and beyond that we're, we're always exploring and figuring out how we can do you know new innovative things and, and one area that is challenging from a technical perspective, but we are working in the space is, can we take old cotton clothing and make new cotton clothing out of it? And that is challenging because as you recycle cellulose, whether it be paper or, or cotton fibers, as you kind of reuse it, they, they break and shorten. And that's not typically good for the technical performance of a material. So, so sometimes you can take, say, a nice 
um, knit shirt that needs a nice longer fiber, we could potentially recycle some of that into maybe jeans where the fiber quality and length is not so important, or maybe even bedding or kind of backing. So we're looking at how we can pull used cotton fiber back into the system to use for other products as well. But soil, that's cool. Yeah, that is one of the coolest things. Uh, you know, instead of like working against what nature has provided us, it's really thinking about what systems exist and can we make our products fit into that system instead of making a whole new system. You know, systems are very challenging to design, but composting, you know, we, we have the need for soil, both, you know, at my house where I have tomatoes growing, but also at an industrial scale. So uh, that's what the plant is designed to do. Plants are designed to to grow and you know eventually die and decompose creating food for the next round of plants so why not lean into that and so something you, you touched on earlier and we all know plastics microplastics huge huge environmental problem how can mm -hmm. how can cotton help be part of the greater sustainability solution there and the overall reduction of the microplastic pollution that we're all just quite sick of <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's a a really fun area. I would have never thought that I would be as, you know, really pushing on the plastic pollution issue as much as I, I am now because I didn't realize it was an apparel industry issue five, 10 years ago. But now within the, the industry, we've come to realize that whenever we wash, dry, and even wear our clothing, little pieces of fiber fall off of our clothing. We breathe that in, we eat it. I think from beer, water, and salt alone, we eat 5,800 pieces of plastic a year in the U.S. And whoa, whoa, whoa. another you, study, whoa, whoa. you got to repeat that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, just think on this. So between beer, what was what were that again? This is a big one. Beer, water, and salt—three things we need to live. I like to say, uh, we eat 5,800 pieces of plastic. Wow. So I'm curious, equally split between the beer water like and just you, you got you got to tell us more that that's mind-blowing <laughs> yeah the study that i uh, that i'm referring to uh I, I don't recall if they really dug into which one contributed the most but we found it in nearly all of the food you can go at various studies have shown and sampled water bottled water salt uh or just salt sampled air or even and water in the ocean, they actually count the number of fibers. And another study which actually blew me away was they say uh, that we eat a credit card's worth of plastic every week, which what? I, <laughs> when I heard that, I thought it was wrong. It was like a year. I was wow. like, okay, maybe in a year, but every week that's still from where I sit. Uh, it's hard to believe. But the reference and the study clearly states that, and it's a peer-reviewed journal. And we can link some of these into the yeah. to the podcast if you'd like. I, I would love that. And I'm thinking of beer because you think of beer, it's like okay, beer. Um, it's it's glass. There's a metal cap, or it's it's aluminum. Like I'm like, there's no plastic anywhere near beer. Like what the hell is happening there? I could see water, bottled water. I could see, but just wow, mm -hmm. that's salt. It's, it's pervasive. Yeah. It's pervasive. So, so yeah, whenever we wash and dry our clothing, these little pieces of particles fall off and, and then get into often – and oceans is one of the areas. You know, Certainly, we're concerned about us eating plastic, but also – Yes, generally, the, that's something that's not on my, my list of, of – <laughs> Yeah, prefer not to have plastic in my diet. You know, Doing an elimination diet. I'm going deeper than you know, gluten, <laughs> dairy, sugar. I'm eliminating plastic from my diet. Yeah, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> Yeah. So as it gets into the waterway, you know, that's a big concern because it then gets into fish, which again, 
that's food. So plastic, uh, it's, it doesn't like water. It's what we call hydrophobic, not to get too technical, but hydrophobic is uh, sort of repels water. Hydrophilic, it kind of would exist very nicely in water and cellulose and cotton, you know, is meant to kind of interact well uh, due to some polar bonds and, and the construction of the material. But uh, plastic does not, and it actually would essentially, um, if there's pollutants that are floating around in water and plastic that's floating around the water, those pollutants can actually sort of adsorb onto the surface of the plastic. So it's sort of a magnet for toxins. And then fish can eat those toxins and bioaccumulate them through the ecosystems. And meanwhile, we're eating the fish, which is very concerning. And these plastics, they, they just don't biodegrade. They stick around for a very long time. So all this talk of water is something you've said, you know, green water, blue water, gray water. So can you explain to everyone what, 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 is, what do you mean by that? Green water, blue water, gray water. Yeah, so there's different ways to all this, all these terms are aimed at really understanding how, how we interact with water and, and how does it impact, say, the environment. So there's different ways to measure it. The, the, the three labels you just kind of uh, spoke of, the green, blue, and gray, that's from the Water Footprint Network methodology. And, and green water um, generally refers to, to rain. So when we use or consume water that just you know fell on the cotton field, that has very little impact. It was going to fall and it was going to be absorbed and evaporated by the ground. So that would be called green water. And, and a lot of cotton is actually grown by, by rain fed. And, you know, that's a very you know, important to cotton. The next one is uh, blue water. And that generally refers to uh, perhaps consuming or, or using water from a river, from a lake, uh, from a well, something where you've sort of extracted it purposely and then either um, put on your field and evaporated or borrowed it for a little bit and then returned it. Uh, gray water typically refers to, say, you have uh, an amount of, say, um, pollutants or nutrients that, you know, at uh, one concentration would be problematic, say, for fish. But if you dilute that um, very, very, you know, with a lot of water, that makes it not so problematic and, and the ecosystems kind of handle certain amount of, of materials and, and, say, pollution. So it's the amount of water required, gray water is the amount of water required to dilute um, the effluent or pollution from a facility or, or from a field, for instance. Wow. So, okay. So we have a lot of action oriented people who are listening, myself included, and you know, we want to take action. And one way to take action is, you know, you vote, you, you become educated and you, and you vote with your, with your wallet, so to speak. And so, mm. you know, labels, we'll start there. So. We're out there, we're shopping. When it comes to product sustainability, I know this is a tough one because it's we're trying to generalize here, but like, what, what are the keys to decoding labels? What should we be looking for? You know, how can we be more sustainable when making decisions around purchasing clothing? Yeah, labels are a challenging, challenging thing to kind of decipher. There's a lot of different... Um, certifications or th things on there that, that are just challenging to, to know unless you're in the industry. So I think there's a couple ways you can come at this uh, as a kind of highest level maybe is if you're really worried about uh, plastics and their impact, certainly looking for that cotton percentage. Uh, clothing in the U.S. is required to say how much of it is, you know, say cotton and polyester. So buying a cotton heavy garment is certainly an important thing when it comes to plastic and biodegradability. Uh, beyond that, though, there are certainly some other uh, type labels that 
kind of indicate uh, that um, more sustainable practices have been used or that certain things have not been used, such as toxic materials. Uh, Blue Sign, as well as Okatech Standard 100, you commonly see those on on garments, or I got some towels uh, recently from Costco, and they had the Okatex 100 standard. And that means that they're not using certain uh, perhaps high-impactful chemicals that are toxic or things like that. And they also check for any kind of residues or uh, things like things that you don't want on your garment or want on your body. So those those types of standards and labels on the actual the, the, the label in your garment can kind of give you some level of assurance that uh, what you're getting is perhaps somewhat better for the environment than than the alternative. And beyond that, there's certainly other ones such as uh, organic and sometimes a BCI, Better Cotton Initiative Cotton, can be on on a label, but it's a little more challenging uh, to decipher that one. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely some opportunities to to push for that. But another way I think it's an important lever is to to research your brands. Think about what brands have a strong stance. Uh, on sustainability and really look into what their strategy is, what their goals are, and buy from those brands because you can understand that anything they create is going to be under that larger sustainability strategy. And, and one thing that I think is probably one of the most important things happening in the industry currently is brands making something called science-based targets. And that is a, a way in which brands commit to reducing their greenhouse gas emissions uh, that would limit climate change to either 1.5 degrees C or 2 degrees Celsius to really reduce the overall impacts to, to the world. And I think brands have made those commitments. Those are ones that I would prefer to buy from because I know they're taking strong actions to actually meet goals that are meaningful towards climate change. So in terms of, you know, an individual listening who wants to make an impact, I think one of the, one of the problems that the movement has had is it's, it's just so big uh it, climate change can be so ominous and it, mm-hmm. and people say like oh i can't do I, I, my contribution isn't gonna and is gonna matter although i think our listeners are are, are action oriented and 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 you know look I, one of my favorite sayings is our favorite quotes is margaret mead essentially like there's nothing like a small a, a small group of like-minded committed individuals and and I'm butchering mm-hmm. the quote, but you get 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 the sentiment. And so, yeah, what are some of the things that anyone listening can do to to make an impact? You know, right now. Yeah, when it when it comes to clothing, uh, you know, doing some of the things that we just talked about, the, the labels, looking for that, and, and buying something as uh, decomposable and compostable. Uh, but one, when you look at where the actual impacts occur in your clothing. Very little of it actually occurs during the production of the cotton. It's really the manufacturing of the material is about half the greenhouse gas emissions, and the other half is our consumer use, meaning washing and drying our clothing. That right there is about half of the overall impact that you're going to have for your clothing. So so what can you do about it? Um, You can certainly use cold water when you're washing it. Wash it just less. If you can just spot wash it, get that stain out without throwing the whole thing in the, the washer. Uh, that's really important. And I grew up personally uh, hanging clothes on a line as a kid. I hated it. And, and that is something that you can do. And that really actually, while it does take time and it might be a little bit, uh, might be a little bit tedious, but it can really save a lot of energy. And that's going to save you money and be better for the environment. So when it comes to clothing, uh, th- that, that's a clear win that we, we can all do. So wash your clothes less opt for cold water. And if you're fortunate enough to have a house and some sunlight, put them outside. 
that's it. It's it's not rocket science. I mean, that's just going to be huge savings for your energy and just better for the environment. So uh, I'm curious in your journey. Look, you're 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 a chief sustainability officer. You're clearly in the know. You're up to date with the latest science. Uh, I'm curious in this journey. You know, even if we go beyond apparel, like what what are some of the habits you've changed in your own life or your family, like in the process where you said like, wow, I didn't know that contributed to climate change and I'm going to change that. I'm curious in the journey, what things have you changed in your own personal life? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I, I, one of the things I did early on was uh, I was really focused on biofuels. So for a while I actually uh, got, I'm a bit of a hands-on guy. I like to work on cars and, and make things. So I actually got a biodiesel set up and created fuel for an old Mercedes Benz 1984 uh, Benz that, you know, I took old oil from the restaurant and through using my, my engineering skills, turned it into biodiesel. So that was really fun. It was super messy and got my clothes very, very dirty, but it was really neat to, but you didn't wash them. I may have <laughs> <laughs> old fryer oil is not, it's, it's a very dirty job. So actually, I learned that and made fuel and actually worked with the local biodiesel producer around here to, to help them. Uh, that was a fun thing. And now I've switched to a more efficient uh, car that's a hi- hybrid. So certainly transportation and what we do there. And I think there's some great opportunities uh, around electric vehicles and just driving less. Certainly, that that's huge. I think uh, diet is, is a certainly another big one. Um, understanding uh, which foods you you eat and which uh, what kind of carbon footprint they have associated with them. Uh, some plant plant based is generally going to be a lower environmental footprint. You don't have to feed it to an animal a lot of food to an animal who makes a little bit of food. It's just more efficient to eat the original food, as well as perhaps other health benefits. And then again, you know, when you think about plastic and that overall issue, if you can buy biodegradable products, uh, whether it be sometimes even compostable plastics, but more paper bags. Or, or even, again, cotton, and just making sure that our, our garments and our products aren't going to stick around for thousands of years and that our garments and products are going to biodegrade. So looking into the future, what would you like to see from your industry in you know, 10, 20 years from now when it comes to sustainability? You know, where, where does cotton fit in? Uh, and just more generally, where, where do you want the conversation about sustainability to be in the future. Yeah, yeah. So so thinking out 10 years, uh, I would like to see the U.S. cotton industry meet its sustainability goals. So they created uh, the industry, um, created sustainability goals based upon 2015 to 2020-25 to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 39%, as well as looking at soil health, energy, water and a few other things. So I'd like to see that industry move forward in reducing their greenhouse gas emissions amongst other things by by you know th- the goal amount. So I'd like to see the industry progress in meeting their goals. Uh, I would also like to see that helping brands such as Levi's who've committed to reducing their supply chain impacts by 40%. So if these big brands, I mean, I think uh, Microsoft wanted to be carbon negative or carbon neutral. These are huge commitments that stakeholders are, you know, there's the people who invest in these companies are looking at. So they're reporting this. So I'd like to see these big, massive brands actually meet their targets and, and really make meaningful change that's going to kind of bail us out. I think it's up to industry now to really make the change. So I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that uh, when they commit to these science-based targets that they're going to come through. 
and I think so a little bit more focusing on the ag side. I, I would like to, to to see the world where where we're creating food and and fiber from from farms that are more regenerative, that are improving soil health, making more nutrient foods that we can eat that nourish our body, as well as better fiber that we can wear. And that just really conserves the water, conserves our nutrients and, and creates good clothing and, and a clean environment. Well, yeah, a, cu- a couple important points. I think, you know, some of the, the larger companies, you mentioned Microsoft, I think of, you know, Walmart, you, you know, you have these corporate behemoths when they make a commitment to sustainability and can follow through, there's a huge opportunity to make real change there very quickly because of the size and scale. Uh, You mentioned regenerative agriculture. I think of General Mills and the commitment they're making there and you talk about, you know, and then so you've got that happening. So if you are going to, you know, eat meat, you've got better choices there that are good for the environment. And then you see the, the movement that we're seeing with with you know, the Beyond Meats, Impossible Burgers of the world. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm an, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a hope guy. I'm, a, I'm always an optimist. But, uh, but I, I think with regards to climate change, and I'm curious where you come in, sometimes you read the headlines and you're like, oh, man, we're just, we're just screwed. And so <laughs> are, you, are you an optimist? And you read various reports were saying by actually it's not 20 years, it's 30 years. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, of Paul Hawken and, and Project mm-hmm. Drawdown and some of his work. Um, and, I, and I know his take on this subject. Um, what's, what's your take on what we need to do? Are, are you optimistic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I have my moments for sure. Uh, I, think we, I think we all do when you read the headlines and you know, I've really dedicated a large part of my life to, to, to working in this area. And it can be sometimes a lot of setbacks have happened recently that have been very kind of uh, a little bit crushing at time. But nonetheless, I, I do remain optimistic. We, we held a sustainability summit and Bill McKibben from 350.org came and spoke there. And it was just very, very inspiring. And he really challenged us as an industry, as a apparel. I mean, Walmart was their target, was their Levi's, you know, all these big clothing brands and apparel brands and retailers. And he really challenged and, and you know, showed us what was at stake and, and why we needed to act now. Why, you know, doing good down the road doesn't matter if we don't do it now. We, you know, time is of the essence uh, and, and action matters now. So, so I am hopeful. These big brands in the last two years have really inspired me. I, I think that we had uh, falling down in a lot of ways in, in other areas where we were making progress, but the brands ha- have really stepped up and, and made these commitments. And I think that you know humans are very innovative. I think that with the, we are moving faster and creating faster, and with supercomputers and the technology that we have today, we can be very innovative. And I think we're going to get around a lot of these issues that we maybe had in the past. And I think perhaps even with COVID that that is while tragic and terrible and it's affecting all of us in you know, mainly negative ways, there are going to be some benefits from that. And I think that we'll, you know, less travel and restructuring of how we do things is going to be a positive outcome. Uh, so, so, you know, I'm hopeful. I think the cotton industry is very hopeful. And brands looking at cotton are really excited about regenerative agriculture and what agriculture and cotton explicitly can do to solving the problem or helping solve the problem of climate change. Well, it goes back to this idea of circular a circular economy and making better use of what we already have and, and just not being wasteful. 
These are these are important yeah. principles. And I, and I think I want to come back to something we touched on earlier, because I think a lot of people are probably freaked out about this, including myself. Like, how, how do we how do we not eat plastic? Someone listening like, oh, my God, I'm eating a credit card a week. Like, how can we avoid that? And, there, and if there's one way to to, you know, to motivate someone, it's to provide a very visible, <laughs> a tangible like <laughs> example. So how do we not? I'm just curious, like, how, is there a way to avoid that? I just can't get over that fact. Yeah, I, I have to say that, that there we're just now beginning to understand the problem. The science is at the very beginning. And we're, we're researching with a lot of world class uh, universities and institutes to better understand the problem. I, I don't think we have all the solutions yet. We're just kind of looking through the keyhole and being like, oh, wow, that, that's a problem. That's a big problem. And we see just a slice of where we are within that. We're like North. Uh, we're working with North Carolina State to better understand how cotton and polyester degrade in wastewater and seawater and freshwater. And we're just now developing the fundamental science that's going to inform decisions. And we're looking at air. It's floating all around us. You know, even if we didn't eat, we have to breathe. And there's plastic on my carpet all around us. So I don't think plastic is going away real soon. But we do have some levers in our life and, and reducing our our consumption of plastic and perhaps the plastic in in our food and, and elsewhere. So my, my last question, if you could go back in time when you began your own personal journey into the world of sustainability, if you could, if you could go back when, when you when you began that process and, and give yourself advice, what advice would that be? Yeah, yeah. That's always a fun question. Uh, takes a little thought, but I, I've answered it a few times. And I'd say one of the most important things that I think has got me where, to where I am today, or maybe two, two of the most important things, uh, you know, really focus on your passion, something that's going to get you up and, and make you want to, to explore, want to learn, want to be curious, and that drive to follow through and get things done. Because grad school and really being a leader in the field takes you know, a lot of commitment. So that, that always helps. Um, but within that, if you have that drive, you can be efficient. You can be, uh, I think, skillful in how you apply that. And one of the most important things for me has been skill stacking. So I, I came at this from a very technical perspective. I understood and got trained in chemical engineering, uh, forced biomaterials, things of a very technical nature. And I actually added to that the environmental field. So I came from a really deep expertise fundamental science, added sustainability, and then added a lot of other things on top of that, communications and, and just different skill sets I picked up along the way. And, you know, I don't have a formal training in agriculture, but I was able to learn that through working with the great experts here at Cotton Incorporated and, and researchers and others. Really skill stacking, figure out, you know, it's hard to be the best engineer in the world or the best chemical engineer, but maybe the best chemical engineer who knows cotton, sustainability, apparel, and can speak well. Those things all added together, you can be the one of the best in the world of these, you know, 10 skills. And I think that that's what really sets you apart. And that's what's going to propel anybody in their career if they really focus on that. And I think that that's one of the things that I identified earlier. I'm, I'm an engineer, but I can speak marginally well, at least, and uh, really understand certain things and communicate them. And I, I really find that space fun. And that that's definitely been very helpful for me. Well, I love it. I love the work you are doing. It is important work. Uh, let's for everyone listening. Let's let's be the change we want to be, and let's not eat plastic, guys. 
Let's. <laughs> I think we have your Classic attention now. Diet. Go plant based. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we have your attention now. Well, Jesse, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.